It's go time. The wheat is being spread from the chaff as we turn the corner on the CFL season in 2022. Hi everybody, Don Charbon along with Heath Graham. Heath, we've got some coaches on the hot seat as we go into the final stretch for the playoffs. We can pick one of three. I'm going to start with the Ottawa Red Blacks, Paul Lapolis. How much of a leash does he still have with that team? It has to be getting short. We know big things were expected for the Ottawa Red Blacks this year. A turnaround season without, sorry, with the addition of Jeremiah Mazzoli as their starting quarterback. Unfortunately, that lasted a couple weeks into the season and he was done. And we have seen the Ottawa Red Blacks sputter from there on out, sitting currently with only one win at the halfway point of the season. And Caleb Evans does not seem to be the quarterback of the future for the Ottawa Red Blacks right now either. So I have to think Paul Apolis is done at the end of this season, if not sooner, unless they start stringing some wins together quickly. They do have Devontae Dedman coming back into the fold, which is massive because Dedman is such a threat, but is he enough? And you're right about Caleb Evans. I've championed him thinking that he had a great shot at being a star quarterback in the CFL. The last two weeks have really sort of soured me on him. His mechanics in terms of the way he throws is are not the greatest. He certainly likes to sidearm the ball, but it's just his inaccuracy and his inability to really adapt to what the defense is throwing at him. Now, is that coaching? Because they're not being trained up enough to recognize what the defense is telling you and where your progression needs to lead you to throw? Or is it the player himself who's starting to panic, not not understanding what's happening in front? I think it's more of the player himself. We know Paul Lapolis has been successful as an offensive coordinator in this league. He's a great cup winning offensive coordinator. He had a team, I believe, he was designing around Jeremiah Mazzoli. And like I said, that has not worked out. It takes some time to retool. We've talked a lot about Nick Arbuckle and the absence of teams willing to give him the start. I think the Ottawa Red Blacks are out of time here if they're serious about even having a sniff at the playoffs. Nick Arbuckle has to be your starter in the next game. He did take first team reps in practice this week already as well, so it looks like they are trending that way. You mentioned Devontae Dedman. The most exciting kick returner in the CFL in recent years, but he is going to need to put up Henry Gizmo-like numbers in the second half of the season to give the Red Blacks a chance. Uh, A return touchdown per game is what it's going to take to spark this team, and I don't know if he's going to be capable of doing that week in and week out. I certainly wouldn't be surprised to see him get about three touchdowns, return touchdowns before the season's over. Is that going to be enough? And if you're Sean Burke, do you want to wait that long? I know there's the coach's cap and you're going to eat some salary. How long do you want to sit around and wait for something that is seemingly obvious? Just look at the overall, and it's sorry to say this to Paul Apolis fans, but his overall coaching record is atrocious. He's won basically one in every four as a coach, maybe one in every three if at best. That's not going to cut it in most professional leagues. 
when you have that kind of deficit coming in and then you've come in with a team that won three games last year, has only won one this year, you're not exactly building up a resume that tells the general manager, I'm your guy. You're right. He has not had much success as a head coach in the league. As I mentioned, a very successful offensive coordinator and at times a creative offensive coordinator. He hasn't been put in the best situations as a head coach, I don't think, either. He went into a tough spot in Winnipeg where they were in a much-needed rebuild. He's in a rebuilt Ottawa Red Blacks team without the key cog in that rebuild, and that's put him behind as well. But I, I think Sean Burke has to look at making a change at this point. I, I don't know where they turn to exactly for a head coach at this point, but... Uh, it's certainly something that they need to be considering. And, and I think soon if they have any inkling of making a push to the playoffs. Now, to be fair to La Police in that Winnipeg tour, he did take the team to a Grey Cup appearance. The ready-made, I think, substitute, at least that could carry you to the end of the season, is Mike Benavides, their defensive coordinator, who has been a head coach with the BC Lions in the past. He's a possibility, unless Burke just rides out the storm says, okay, we're going to see what Paul can do. And then at the end of the season, we'll make our evaluation and go from there. Let's move over to who used to be the Western namesakes, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and Craig Dickinson. That team is five and five. So they're in a playoff spot right now based on crossover possibilities. They have not, though, looked very good in their last four games other than a win in Edmonton, they have were swept by the Argonauts, and so far they've been swept by the BC Lions. In fact, the Rough Riders haven't defeated a team with a winning record yet. We knew going into this season, the Grey Cup game is going to be in Regina. There's a lot of pressure to repeat the success they had in 2013. Is this a Craig Dickinson problem, or is this a Jeremy O'Day problem in not giving him all of the tools he needs to be successful? I would tend to think it's a little of column A, a little of column B. Craig Dickinson comes across as a very soft-spoken coach, and that might be his biggest downfall right now, is not holding all of the players to task. We've seen some discipline issues. We've seen players suspended. We've seen players ejected. That reflects on the coach. The tools that he has to use reflects on the general manager, Jeremy O'Day. O'Day has given the Rough Riders a strong defensive line, an exceptional linebacking core, and a very good defensive secondary. On the offensive side of the ball, yes, they are a young offensive line. But O'Day went through that when he was a player with the team, and he understands that it takes time to grow. The receiving core is decent. It's going to get way better with Shaq Evans coming back and uh, Kyron Moore coming back into the lineup as well. So Moore of that arsenal is available to them. Now, Jamal Morrill out for a while with a, a break in his hand. The team itself, whether you can say that it's the quarterback's problem, maybe some people argue it's Jason Moss's problem, offensive output has been dropping, 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 dropping. Though the defense has remained competent, you can't win games with defensive scores for very long. And when the Riders don't get a defensive score, they seem to be in huge trouble. A couple of points you made that I'll, I'll focus on here. Jamal Morrow has had surgery on his hand and is likely to miss some time. The state of the running game in the CFL in general, 
makes that one not as big of a hit to the team. I don't think it's it's been a pretty rare occurrence for running backs to to rack up 100 yards rushing in a game this season. I will agree with you to the point of the struggles of Cody Fajardo as well as that offensive line being the biggest issues with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. We've seen the Winnipeg Blue Bombers really build from the offense and defensive lines out and have had enormous success with that. That seems to be the blueprint that has led them to the back-to-back Grey Cups and the strong start this season as well. They understand the importance. Retooling an offensive line is no easy task. Generally, teams draft a couple of offensive linemen in the in the draft every year. You start looking at import or American versus national players and your ratio and what you do. I'm sure everybody would love to have a strong five offensive linemen and three on the practice roster or in the backup role ready to go. The The reality is it's just not an easy thing to develop in the CFL. The Rough Riders offensive line was dealt a big blow when Dan Clark got injured in Edmonton at the beginning of the season. So that prompted Logan Bandy to become the center. That changed up their dynamic. But again, they're young. They have to learn to grow together. I don't think that they're the biggest issue because think of their their running. As a team rushing stat, they are second only to the Blue Bombers per game. The Rough Riders, I think more so, don't know how to close games. And this was a hallmark when Stephen McAdoo was the offensive coordinator a couple years ago. The Riders always found a way in the fourth quarter to come back and win. That's very true, and and that's another struggle, I believe, with Cody Fajardo. There's a a saying that the most popular guy is that backup quarterback, and we saw Mason Fine come in and have some success and lead them to a touchdown. So that's enough to really get that talk going. And seeing Cody Fajardo get benched for a big portion of that game against the BC Lions was a pretty strong indicator that maybe – that confidence level that Craig Dickinson had in him is wavering a little bit as well. But again, let's get back to Dickinson himself. It took him a long time to realize or accept that the knee that's injured on Fajardo isn't going to recover quickly. And the more you play him, the more likely it's never going to change until the season is over. The team that went to Winnipeg last year and somehow with six turnovers to the good couldn't beat the Blue Bombers is still struggling. So are you saying it's Grey Cup or bust for Craig Dickinson this year? I would think so. I can't see Jeremy O'Day thinking that he'll keep his job if the Rough Riders don't do something at the end of the season. If, in fact, let's say they don't make the playoffs or they have to go through the East. The other coach, and this may be a bit of a reach, but Orlando Steinauer will give a pass because he's been to two Grey Cups. Ryan Dinwiddie. They are supposed to have a talented team, and yet they are struggling. The Argos are kind of an up-and-down team. You just don't know week-to-week what you're going to get. Now, some people say that's McLeod Bethel-Thompson. That's how he plays. They've got a very good defense in Toronto. The offense is filled with talent. Why isn't it clicking? This one's tough. It's it's hard to have a, a team that's in first place in their division have their coach on the hot seat and that's where Ryan Dinwiddie is with the Toronto Argonauts right now. They are leading the East. He is a a new head coach. This is his first job as head coach. He was he's into his second season now with the Toronto Argonauts. 
still learning, I believe, the, the head coach role. But we have seen some questionable decision-making by Ryan Dinwiddie. And uh, how much leeway is he given remains to be seen. But at this point, as I said, a first-place team doesn't generally make a coaching change. Quarterbacking. We've talked about Cody Fajardo. But there are other quarterbacks that are in trouble right now. Let's stick with Fajardo just for sake of argument. Fajardo in the 2022 season has not thrown for 300 yards in any single game. His last three contests, 168 yards, 130 yards, 41 yards. Now granted, the last one he only played a quarter and a half. His best output was 284, 24-34 against the Argonauts. He's going backwards. Knee injury definitely plays a, a role, but what else is going on there? He plays a an aggressive style in a way. I, I think similar to Vernon Adams Jr. without the ability to throw the deep ball is how I would best describe Cody Fajardo. He scrambles well. He's a good running quarterback. He has, up until these last few weeks, been successful in finding a way to win. The knee injury is certainly hampering him at this point, but I, I know there were some questions last year and early this season as well, as well about his ability to f- push the ball deep. The Rough Riders have added some receiving help that should show more success in the deep ball. Dakeel Williams is one of the best at it in the league, but we just aren't seeing that kind of success that you would expect from that receiving core. Bo Levi Mitchell. The face of the franchise for the Calgary Stampeders for the last decade was pulled in Toronto in favor of Jake Mayer. Mitchell has struggled mightily in the last few games. His last three starts, 137 yards in Ottawa, 206 versus BC in that 41-40 to shootout, and 149 yards against the Argonauts. He only had two interceptions to show on the other side of the stat sheet. With Bo, we know that he has a shoulder issue. But there seems to be something else going on with him. He is such a fiery competitor. And he is so acutely aware of what each receiver is supposed to be doing on the field. And we've seen it more times than not where he's thrown a ball, it lands on the turf, and he's looking at the receiver, where were you? You're supposed to go this way, not that way. It's, it's something that is really fascinating to me because they're going into Winnipeg. Mitchell hasn't looked like Mitchell. He, he's a great cup winner. He's been to five. He, he knows how to get there. It, what is up? I think we're beginning to see a bit of a decline in the Calgary Stampeders. You can only be at the top for so long. We've seen them clearly get knocked off of that top spot by Winnipeg over the last couple of seasons. And now they are trying to claw their way back up. And the other thing that Calgary has been famous for for years has been the next man up philosophy and they've always seemed to be able to fill the holes when somebody moves on either by trade free agency or moving on to the NFL and I think the cupboards are not quite as overflowing as they 
have previously been for the Calgary Stampeders. We're starting to see that. And at what age for a quarterback do you start to see a little bit of regression? We know running backs in professional football, generally, once you get to about age 31 or 32, that you start to see a noticeable decline. Quarterbacks are a little bit different depending on the wear and tear, but we've seen some wear and tear on by the last couple of seasons with some injuries. And I think that is starting to slow down the once seemingly unstoppable Bo Levi Mitchell. Does the Stampeder coaching staff, namely Dave Dickinson, look at starting Jake Mayer? I don't think that's a bad choice to make. We've seen Jake Mayer come in and have success. He had several 300-yard passing games last season. I, I know you're one that's not a big fan of platooning quarterbacks and going with a two-quarterback system, the Calgary Stampeders are still in third place in the West. The BC Lions are starting to face some adversity that we'll get to here with Nathan Rourke's injury. So I don't know if you're necessarily wanting to make wholesale changes to that quarterback situation if you're the Calgary Stampeders. This is a big week coming up against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to kind of see where they stand in that West division currently. Now, one quarterback who who'd who had an MLP type of season is now likely out for the season. And that is Nathan Rourke, who, when he was injured and hobbled off the field at Mosaic Stadium, the crowd was in shock. In, the injury is a freak accident. There was no malice at all from Pete Robertson on the sack. If you watch on the play... Rourke is trying to evade it and he steps forward and Robertson's coming from behind and is trying to bring him to ground and Rourke is doing everything possible not to be sacked and he plants his foot in the ground and it twists and that creates the problem. Now he has a severe Lisfranc sprain, which if you're wondering what that is, just look down at the top of your foot. There's a mass of tendons that wrap around your foot to hold it in place, that area of the foot in front of uh, your ankle basically takes two times to three times the stress load of your body weight every time you step. Minimally, he's got about six to eight weeks where he won't even be walking. And then he may, once the protection is off after surgery, he may then start up again. But by that time, I don't think the season will be left for him to do it. And it's such a shame because he was putting up numbers in that offense that were something that went back to the days of Doug Flutie. Yeah, his I believe I saw a stat that he has had the most passing yards through the first nine games of a season since Matt Dunnigan had over 3,000 yards sometime back in the 90s. So um, we saw him breaking records every week, by far leading the league in touchdown passes, passing yards, the the list goes on. A real, real tough loss for Nathan Rourke and for the BC Lions. It was really exciting to watch him play so far this season. And and as you mentioned, a freak accident. It's very easy to get rolled up on or have a leg or ankle bend the wrong way in the CFL when you've got players of that size and that speed 
and so many of them on the field. You got 24 players on the field on any given snap. It's just a, a, such an unfortunate circumstance. He was great for the league. People in BC were getting excited about the team. You were starting to see Lions jerseys around the city on game day. It's just such a tough loss. I, I hope for a speedy recovery, but I also hope for his sake that they don't rush him back. I want to see Nathan Rourke come back 100% ready to go. If he's not going to be able to wait bear for six to eight weeks, there's going to be some loss of muscle mass in that leg. So rehab is going to be very important. And I agree with you, Don. I'm not sure there's enough weeks left in this season to get Nathan Rourke back at 100% and game ready. It does provide an opportunity for Michael O'Connor to become the quarterback in British Columbia, and he is no slouch. Of course, he had time in American college with Penn State, chose to come back to Canada to play at the University of British Columbia with the Thunderbirds to get a chance to play in the CFL. He now has that chance. He is the de facto starting quarterback in British Columbia. We've seen improved play from that BC offensive line so far this season in protecting Nathan Rourke. If they can continue that success with Michael O'Connor, he has the weapons out there on that receiving core and the running back to do some damage. It's a great opportunity for him. The Calgary Stampeders were pretty high on Michael O'Connor in previous seasons as well. He got bumped out by the exceptional play of Jake Mayer and was kind of the odd man out in Calgary. And here's a big chance for him to to step in and showcase yet another Canadian quarterback in the CFL. How fortuitous was it that it was Pete Robertson on the play and not Garrett Marino? Some people think there's a witch hunt right now looking for Marino to just screw up in any way, shape, or form. But even TSN at halftime could find three quick instances from the first half of that game against BC where... Marino was taking the game to its edge, where on the first play of the game for the BC Lions, he is diving at the head of Lucky Whitehead and barely misses him. He also blows up, and it, I can't remember if it's Suk Chung or Peter Godber on the BC offensive line, when the play is, has been blown dead for illegal procedure, and then later he takes to ground... Rourke, this is prior to the injury, and he basically wraps his arm around him and slams him as hard as he can to the turf. No call on any of those plays, but video replay is out there. And again, if you think he is being watched, he's given you good reason to do so given his past track record. Absolutely, he's being watched and, and should be at this point. He's been suspended more than once. He's been fined more than once in his short CFL career. His first game back after a four-game suspension, the officiating crew should be keeping their eye on him, and there's maybe some supplemental discipline forthcoming from his play last week. That remains to be seen. When a player of that reputation comes back He's going to be watched like a hawk. Before we get away from first down, Elks win in Ottawa. Riders lose versus BC. Edmonton is two wins back, technically three because they've lost the season series. Is there a hope now for Edmonton 
who seem to be getting it together. Is there a hope now for Edmonton, who have Ottawa and then a back-to-back with Calgary, while Saskatchewan has BC and a back-to-back with Winnipeg? Is Edmonton now close enough to catch the Riders? The Rough Riders are certainly within their sights, but what remains to be seen is will there be a crossover situation? We're seeing a couple of the teams in the East now start to accumulate a couple of wins. And in order to be a crossover team, not only do you have to tie them in the standings, you have to be at least one point ahead of them in the standings. So the Rough Riders are, would be in a crossover situation right now with their five wins. We're at the halfway point and, and it remains to be seen what will happen. I think the, the East can be competitive enough to start stringing wins together if the Red Blacks continue to struggle and those Eastern teams beat them when those opportunities are given to them, that will help pull them even with the Rough Riders and possibly enough to stave off a crossover playoff game. What really upset the apple cart was the Alouettes win in Winnipeg. Up to that point, I don't think there was a lot of respect shown towards the East. And then after that overtime win, there was a shudder. We've seen some East teams have success the Toronto Argonauts and Montreal Alouettes have both also beat the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So you start talking about a, a crossover, but if the Riders can't beat Eastern teams, it doesn't really matter that much in those situations either. No Western team has ever come out of the East to the Grey Cup. Second down. Edmonton started the week in Ottawa. The Elks use a huge third quarter. 14 points to Ottawa's none. In fact, Ottawa doesn't score in the second half after leading 12-3 to and wind up getting crushed by the Elks. Edmonton, that's their third win on the road this season, all in the East. The ability to win on the road is great for the Edmonton Elks fans. I'm hoping their fortunes at home change here as well. Those Elks fans need to see a home win, and they've got some games coming up that will give them that opportunity. Interesting that this was the biggest point spread of the week. It was a, an 18-point victory for the Edmonton Elks. We'll get into some very close games beyond this one. As we mentioned earlier, Caleb Evans struggled once again at quarterback, and it's starting to have some effect on some of the players, such as Jalen Acklin, who has had a great season, but if you have to think if there's a better quarterback, he'd be even higher in that statistical categories in leading the league and he's just not quite getting the the type of support from the quarterback that he needs to truly shine. Evans 10 of 16 for 111 yards. Nick Arbuckle comes in, goes 7 of 13 for 85. On the flip side, Elks quarterback Taylor Cornelius 16 of 27, 208 and two touchdown passes. Edmonton really took over in that third quarter. They they struggled in the first half but they seem to come out of the locker room much more focused and really owned the clock in that second half. They did. They strung together a couple of beautiful scoring drives in the third quarter. Interviewing Ante Milanovic-Litre at the half, the sideline reporters were asking what they needed to do in the second half, and he said, we need to get that ball on the kickoff and we need to march down the field and score a touchdown. That's exactly what they did. And it set the tone for the second half. Emmanuel Arsenault continues to 
be a clutch receiver for the Elks. Kenny Lawler is starting to earn some of the that big money that was tossed his way. He had another touchdown catch in this game as well. Darrell Walker found the end zone for the first time in quite some time. It was a, a good effort by the Edmonton Elks, and maybe they're starting to figure this thing out a little bit. Now, that being said, it was against a, a one-win team in the Ottawa Red Blacks, so you have to take the opponent into consideration here a little bit as well. Edmonton had 35 minutes of possession in this football game to Ottawa's 25. That will usually dictate terms. Edmonton, again, it's their third win on the road. They get Ottawa as the back-to-back opponent coming up. If Edmonton can win that one, as we were sort of musing in first down, the Elks have to be considered in the playoff race. They do. They're closing that gap on the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. The Riders have a tough schedule coming up here as well. They, they're getting Winnipeg back-to-back in that Labor Day Banjo Bowl game here in a couple of weeks. That's going to be a strong test for them. So you start looking at the schedule and where are those wins going to come from for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Moving to that Saskatchewan BC game, the latter half of the doubleheader on Friday night. A huge crowd in Regina, 28,000 plus to watch the game. The Lions started early and went often, and I think the biggest play of the game was the late first half touchdown pass to Lucky Whitehead. Whitehead with a massive score, 81 yards on that play, and that put the Lions out of reach, it seemed. It did. It's amazing how quickly that BC Lions offense can strike. It seems like they're up and down a little bit, all of a sudden, a couple of successful deep balls, and not only Lucky Whitehead, but Brian Burnham made some phenomenal catches, including his touchdown catch as well. So Lucky Whitehead was a matter of of beating coverage, getting in behind everybody, and pretty much walked it to the end zone. Brian Burnham made a one-handed grab in the end zone once again around coverage, and that receiving core is something else for the BC Lions. Interesting decision by the Rough Riders to have Derek Moncrief shadow Brian Burnham all night long and actually had a decent night taking an Eddie Davis position where he would shut down their best receiver. He maybe had success in keeping Brian Burnham in check, but that left Dominic Rimes to make six catches for 127 yards. And as we mentioned, Lucky Whitehead to make nine receptions for 136 yards and a touchdown. So it's a pretty tough situation to be in when you're trying to figure out who exactly to cover and you start taking some of those guys away and then all of a sudden Javon Katoy or Keon Hatcher start putting up numbers they've both had career high games so far this season as well so it doesn't seem to matter who you're covering somebody for the BC Lions is going to be open to do some damage. Nathan Rourke before he was Knocked out of the game, 22 of 31 for 375 yards. Michael O'Connor comes in. He's 5 of 5 for 36. On the flip side, Saskatchewan's Cody Fajardo, 8 of 13 for 41 yards and two interceptions. There was a sequence in the game where four drives ended in interceptions. Mason Fine finished the game, 16 to 26, 210, a touchdown and an interception. Does Mason Fine start against BC when they play next? I believe the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are going to go back to Cody Fajardo for another start. 
However, if you start looking at the numbers, does that make a lot of sense? Mason Fine had a decent night, 16 for 26 for 210 yards coming in in relief. That's a decent stat line. We saw him string together a touchdown drive as well. And we'll see how long Cody Fajardo remains the number one guy in Regina. Five quarterback sacks by the Lions, one by the Rough Riders. And of course, unfortunately, that was the Rourke injury. Five interceptions in the game, three by BC. Let's move forward. Hamilton and Montreal in what a great game this turned out to be. It certainly was right down to the wire. 29-28 win for the Montreal Alouettes. Matthew Schiltz getting the start for the Hamilton Tiger Cats in this one. Put up over 300 yards, as did Trevor Harris. So a real offensive display by these two quarterbacks and these two teams. Schiltz, 27-39 for 303. Harris for Montreal, 24-31, of 382. Three touchdown passes. Schiltz had two. It was a game where when Hamilton took the lead late with under a minute to go, you thought that the Alouettes' chances were long. Two reasons. Hamilton had slowed the Alouettes down in the second half. The other part of it, too, was that the teams were getting tired because it was a hot, humid day in Montreal. But luckily for the Alouettes, the shade of the stands went across the field. It seemed to re-energize them, and a huge play by Eugene Lewis to catch the ball over the middle, break a tackle, and get the ball in field goal range. David Cote then to kick the game winner with no time on the clock. You can't ask for much more in terms of a football game. The, the CFL has started a campaign. The last three minutes are a game unto itself, and here we see that evidenced again. It was impressive to see the Montreal Alouettes get back down into scoring range in the last minute. It's always exciting when something like that happens. We have seen David Cote have some rotten luck at the end of a game with a with a game on the line. A little bit of redemption for him in this one. It wasn't as difficult of a field goal, but he came in at clutch time and did what he had to do to pull out the win. Uh, a great effort by him. And as we mentioned, the receiving cores in both of these teams had some pretty decent nights as well. Tim White has been a, a very pleasant surprise in my mind for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. 11 catches for 145 yards and two touchdowns in this one. Great night for him. On the flip side, Eugene Lewis is back doing what he does best. Seven catches, 99 yards and a touchdown. And really, uh, the ball was spread around a lot on both offenses in this one. And some, some big, big nights for some receivers. Lots of offensive numbers, 371 yards of offense for the Tiger Cats, 425 for the Alouettes. I have long not trusted Trevor Harris's ability to bring a team from the brink and get them over that line, and this time he did it. Over 21,000 people in the stands in Montreal, a great turnout. Great game. They went away happy. Ticats... My, how the mighty have fallen. They have, and they've got two more tough games coming up against the Toronto Argonauts here over the next couple of weeks as well. So I certainly thought at the beginning of the season they were right back in contention to make it to a third consecutive Grey Cup. With the emergence of the Alouettes and the way that the Toronto Argonauts have been playing this year as well, it's definitely not a guarantee that they are going to be there come playoff time. Later Saturday, the second half of the doubleheader, the Toronto Argonauts with a nice crowd 
hosting the Calgary Stampeders. The Stampeders, who struggled in the first half, were trailing 16-10 to 10 at halftime, managed to get it together with Jake Mayer in the second half leading the way. Bo Levi Mitchell started the game for Calgary, 9 of 16, 149 yards, but he had two interceptions. Jake Mayer comes in, 14 of 18, 156. He also had an interception, but he did lead that offense down the field and make some big plays. Eli Buka's 62-yard interception where he caught the ball on one side of midfield, crossed the entire field, and went to the score proved to be the difference in this game. On the flip side, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, again, putting up decent numbers, 27 to 43, 276, and an interception. The most interesting stat for quarterbacks in this game is a total of four interceptions and no touchdown passes. The only touchdown from a quarterback came as a rushing play by Toronto backup Chad Kelly. Corey Mace, part of that Calgary East contingent that is with the Toronto Argonauts. I believe I counted nine people (laughs) that were former Stampeders that are now with the Argonauts, including their head coach. Week 12 is upon us Thursday, the last Thursday game of the season. The Calgary Stampeders are in Winnipeg for their third meeting of the year. The Bombers have taken the first two. Dave Dickinson has said emotion will not dictate who starts as quarterback for the Stampeders in Winnipeg. That's a hint that I think Jake Mayer is on his way to leading this team. The last time he started in Winnipeg, they came about a yard short on a field goal in the final play of winning in 2021. It is a tough decision for Dickinson in this one. It looks like Jake Mary is likely to get the start. Winnipeg coming off a bye, suffering their first home loss in 13 games and well over a thousand days. I think Winnipeg is going to be hungry to redeem themselves and they're well rested now. I believe Winnipeg is going to take this one at home. That being said, winning three straight against any team in the league is a tough task, especially one as talented and with the history of success that the Calgary Stampeders have. We're looking at about a five and a half point spread at this point. So does Winnipeg win this one by a touchdown? I'm not 100% they do. So I'm going to say Winnipeg, but they do not cover the spread in this one. Let's not forget that on the defensive side of the ball, Titus Wall is likely not going to play. Jameer Thurman, Trey Roberson, Brendan Dozier is not going to play. These are all names that we gave out last week when the Stampeders were playing. And again, these people are not available. Roberson, for sure, for the rest of the season, cripples that defense. And especially when it comes right down the middle, when your middle linebacker and your safety are out. That hurts a lot because those are the generals out there. When you talk about up the middle, though, Greg Ellingson has been limping around in practice for the Blue Bombers the last couple of weeks as well. So that could be a, a key loss for Winnipeg that might offset things a little bit with the missing pieces for the Stampeders. As much as I like Jake Mayer's chances in Winnipeg, I th- trust that the Bombers at home are looking to start a new home winning streak. They may have something to make as a statement in this game after that loss to Montreal. I'm going to put Winnipeg to cover. Hamilton and Toronto on Friday night. This is in Toronto. The Tiger Cats 
And Argo is meeting for the third time now in four weeks. Their fourth meeting is coming up in another week's time. They've split. Home team wins. Argos are favored by two and a half. Where do you go with this one? We've talked a little bit already tonight about McLeod Bethel-Thompson and whether he's going to be the good performer or the bad performer on any given day. At the same time, we see the Hamilton Tiger Cats continue to struggle. I believe Toronto at home does take this one. I I think it's a bit of a bounce back for McLeod Bethel-Thompson. That Toronto defense is solid enough that they will keep Hamilton in check in this one. The Tiger Cats, if they want to stay in the conversation, pretty much have to look at doing something against Toronto these next two weeks. Matthew Schiltz is most likely going to be the starter again for the Tiger Cats. He did well enough to win in Montreal. It just didn't happen. His time goes on and he gets more accustomed to being... Do you think Matthew Schiltz is the starting quarterback of the foreseeable future for Hamilton at this point? Given the injury to Dane Evans and given what... Schultz has been able to do, yes. I don't know where to go with this one. Even at that two and a half points, it's ah, this is just brutal. I, I'll take the Argos at home, but I don't trust it. The late game on Friday, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders trek out to BC to finish their season with the BC Lions. The Lions have won the first two. Notably absent, of course, is Nathan Rourke, who is now on the mand. The Rough Riders have Michael O'Connor to face as quarterback. We don't know who's going to start for the Rough Riders. Most speculation believes it's going to be Cody Fajardo again, given that some of these receivers that have been on the injured list are coming back. Kyron Moore, Shaq Evans, he's worked more with them. But do you trust him in that knee, or do you trust Mason Fine and give him another shot to see what he can do? The Riders have played... BC twice in Regina and have lost pretty lopsided games both times around. Nathan Rourke was at the helm for both of those and was in that 300 plus yard range in both of those games as well. Does the change of venue matter much in this one? It's obviously more about the quarterback situation with the BC Lions. If Saskatchewan is going to show any life in the West, this is a must win for them. They're getting a couple of those receiving weapons back, but Duke Williams is suffering a little bit of an injury right now as well. Unfortunately for the Riders, I think it's the same result against BC. It might be a little bit closer this time, just given that there's a different starting quarterback, but those weapons for the BC Lions on offense are too much for the Rough Riders secondary to handle in this one. So I'm going the BC Lions once again. Lions are favored by 4.5. That's not a lot at home, but again, it's a question of what O'Connor does on the field. Let's give some respect to the BC Lion defense. But for Winnipeg in a few categories, BC is the best defense in the CFL. They may have more to say about this outcome than anybody else. I'm picking the Lions at home to win and cover. We finish with the Saturday game, and Ottawa in Edmonton. The Red Blacks famously, with an Abdul Kenna interception off a Shy Ross tip, won the football game with a huge interception late in the game last year. I don't think this is the same Ottawa Red Blacks team, though. 
one and nine going into this confidence is way different than what it was in 2021. A change in starting quarterback. Nick Arbuckle has to be the starter this week for the Ottawa Red Blacks. Maybe he's got something to prove against one of his former teams in the Edmonton Elks as well. Kind of cast away by Chris Jones and the new regime in Edmonton. And we've seen him have some success moving the ball. However, it appears the continuous shuffling of the deck for the Elks is starting to come together a little bit. They looked like a team in all aspects of the game last week. The same opponent, and now you're getting them in your home stadium. I think it's time for that Edmonton Elks home losing streak to come to an end. I'm picking the Elks to win this one. Over a thousand days. We had a poll a few weeks ago. Who do you think will end their streak sooner? The Bombers losing at home or the Elks winning at home? Most people chose the Elks winning at home. Ironically, it didn't work out that way. This time, I think it will. At 3.5 point favorites, Edmonton, I think that's being generous to Ottawa. I haven't seen anything from Ottawa, especially in the West, that they can compete. Edmonton needs something for their fans. Victor Cui, their president, had predicted four straight wins. Well, if they win against Ottawa, he gets two of the four correct. I just don't know what Ottawa can do to change the result. If the last two weeks against Calgary and Edmonton, their offense has just been anemic. Is it going to be Nick Arbuckle? Is he enough to change their fate? And it's it's kind of a must-win still for Edmonton if they're going to have any chance at the playoffs as well. So I think, as I mentioned, they're starting to click a little bit and they know that they cannot let any of these winnable games slip away. And this is one of those situations where they need to take advantage of a, a opponent on the ropes and pull off a home win for the fans. Well, let's think of it this way. If Edmonton beats Ottawa and Calgary loses in Winnipeg, Edmonton has Calgary for two weeks. If Edmonton sweeps that back, back-to-back home-and-home series, Labor Day and, and the following weekend, Edmonton will be tied in the standings with the Stampeders, but be ahead because they have the seasonal series. Imagine that. And depending on what happens with Saskatchewan as well, they've got a tough test this week against BC. So we could see that bottom part of the West Division really tighten up over these next couple of weeks. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.